AT, game week. We're sta- we're hanging in the game week. We got our last three games. It's Friday. Right? It's Friday. It has to be Friday. Blending in. Yes, it Blending is. Uh, but um, game week, of course, we got OSU Furman, RMU Penn State, Duke Air Force rounds out the first week of the 2017 season. AT, guess who I saw yesterday for the first time since I was a little kid? Doug Knight. Oh, Mr. Rubber Buttons. Chewed up rubber <laughs> buttons on his rugger shirt. I shook his hand, so I was at Franklin Fields. Um, I'm, He's I'm, an all-time favorite. He, what a guy. I uh, shook his hand, and I had to tell him that immediately he, I'm like, I'm Ryan Danahy, like a little kid. <laughs> Walking up, I shook his hand. I'm like, I'm like, I'm Ryan Danahy. He's like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know who you are. And I'm like, no, no, you need to know this. But I had 50 yard line tickets for the first three seasons of the Boston Cannons, and I was obsessed watching you and Watson fly through the air, um, and basically made me want to play professional lacrosse. And then we went through the roster together. We sat there. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Watson. And, and of course, we're just flying through names. And I'm like, you know, you know, D- Dave Evans, Billy Day was the goalie. I'm like, Andy Towers is facing off. And uh, he laughed his ass off. As soon as he said, I said, Andy Towers, he was like, oh, Andy. He's like, how many years did he play? I was like, I think he definitely was there. I think he made the all-star game. I just game played that game, and then that was it. <laughs> <laughs> uh he was like how many years i was like i think he made the all-star team that year and i think he was half in half out the next year i'm not really sure but yeah, uh it's not it's not really clear i got the dougie knight made me want to play professional wiffle ball and this is why <laughs> all right obviously anybody that is a lacrosse historian and i can't even believe that's the word that we're using because it just seems like yesterday but it was really late 90s <laughs> Uh, you know, and and has seen Dougie play or the way that he played, yeah. you know, and as, as reckless as Michael Watson was as a player, Dougie was, I think, even a half notch beyond that in terms of recklessness and did, did it all with no socks and his shoes untied, right? And he's got this weird walk, too. He's got this yeah. weird walk. Yeah. It's distinct, and yes. that's the walk when everything hurts from years of just <laughs> absolutely showing zero regard for uh, how His you're going to feel a moment from now. Uh, but Doug and I used to do a bunch of camps. In fact, Mike Murphy, the pen coach, used to run this camp out in Nantucket. <laughs> it's a and, great place for a camp, by the way. Yeah, Dangerous right. place for a camp, too. If you'd rent a house and – Joe Bresch would, was working the camp sometimes. Jenny Slinghoff sometimes working the camp. Annie Yates, Murphy's wife Lisa, who you know played the cross in Virginia, and we had you know a great group of people that were out there. Dave Curry would come out there, uh, and and a bunch of other people. But needless to say, Dougie was a mainstay out there for for the summers. I was a mainstay out there for most of the summers, and Dougie and I would compete in a lot of things and. Sure enough, one day we go out, we start playing wiffle ball. It's after camp, you know, camp ended at 1230. You know, we, we come home, we eat lunch, we go out, we play wiffle ball, kind of waiting for everybody to go to the beach. And I don't know if people, people have been in Nantucket know that like, it's obviously got, you know, grass like everything else, but there's also like these really prickly, 
Um, they're not really pricker bushes, but they're like even scarier Shrub, than like pricker the shrubberies bushes. kind of thing. Shrubberies, but it's like, but like stick shrubberies, like right, like you know, it's it's not forgiving <laughs> plant. It's like I think I tree, see where this is going, but they look like, but they look like pricker bushes, but it's actually like trees, and they're needless to say, Dougie pitches the ball, I hit it. And our shirts are off. It's summertime. We just got done with camp. And we're kind of just waiting for these guys to come out to get to the car to go to the beach. So it's very sort of passive, even though nothing's passive when it comes to competition with Dougie, even though he's unbelievably understated, he's equally as competitive as he is understated, which is out of this world in both areas. Right. So to make a long story even a little bit longer, <laughs> my sh- my ball goes up and <laughs> it goes up and it goes right where you think it would be going in the middle of like this razor blade bush. <laughs> and Dougie does a full spread, full horizontal jump, arm out. Crease dive. He's crease dive. Crease dive. <laughs> Crease dive. It was like he jumped off of the the roof of our house, spread eagle, belly flop. into this razor blade pricker bush plant. No hesitation, zero <laughs> hesitation, and disappeared into the plant along with the football. And I didn't hear any groaning. I didn't hear anything. All I saw was his hand come out of the bush with the wiffle ball in his hand. <laughs> and I simply couldn't believe that I saw what I saw. And the best thing about it is right then, everybody came out of the house and ready to go to the beach. We popped up out of the bush, bloody. We didn't say a word about it. We just got in the car and went to the beach. And he, did, he jump, <laughs> did he jump into the salt water real quick? Oh, of course. <laughs> You know, listen. It, it was, it was, it was a puss off. You know, the amount it was, it was ridiculous, and there was never any discussion about it, about anything. I wasn't surprised he caught it. It wasn't the least bit out of the ordinary that he sold out shirtless into this again razor blade bush. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. <laughs> razor blade um, bush, but. I mean, I guess, I guess you are who you are, and that's certainly who Coach Knight was and is. He is one of the all-time uh, best. Man, wow, is he is he a fucking piece of work? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is awesome. That is so awesome. Oh, um, God. Well, let's let's get into uh, the rundown here. Right. Uh, <laughs> that was great. Uh, so here's the deal. We've got OSU Furman. AT, you, you've talked a little bit about Furman uh, on our last podcast yesterday. Yeah. Uh, tell us. Recap. Yeah, just briefly recap. Tell us a little bit about how they yeah, stack so up against just OSU. To, just, to, just to go over it, and then I know we'd be a little bit more heavy at OSU since you did Furman yesterday. Uh, in general, they're coming off a tough 2016 year, as we said. They were 2-11 and overall, 2-5 and in the league. They only beat Jacksonville and VMI. Um, you know, with that said, they were a very, very young team last year. They o- offense was throwing up eight goals a game on 28% shooting. You know, again, not scaring anybody with those numbers. Mm-hmm. Defense giving up 11 goals a game. Um, 
you know, but but they return everybody. And, you know, this is a team that I think is going to make progress where they're giving away three goals a game based on those respective stats each game on the average of 2016. You got to think that they're going to score more goals returning everybody. You got to hope that they're going to be able to hold people down a little bit better than they did last year. And if they did that, you know, that two and 11 overall record is going to be closer to 500 this year. And I think that they're going to make that change. Richie Mead, as you know, is a legendary coach. Um, and he's going to find a way to get the best out of this team. I think the strength of the team, even though the, I think the strength of the team or a strength of the team is Hill Blaze at the X, even though he was 47% in terms of his overall statistics last year, he is a great technician and has the ability to win, you know, 60, 65% against some very, very strong competition. And if he's able to have a great year and get up over 55%, they continue to get good play out of, you know, their goalie. Um, you know, I think this is going to be a significantly improved team. Is it going to be enough to beat Ohio State? I don't think so. But they played them really, really tough last year. And Richie Mead is a great coach. And uh, so it's it's not out of the question. Um, but they're going to have to win face-offs. They're going to have to minimize the amount of touches that the Ohio State offense has. Uh, and they're going to have to bury their shots at a rate that's better than 28% for them to end up winning this game in the end. So that's my recap. Ohio State is a team that lost four one-goal games to top 20 teams at the end of 2016. Towson, or Towson was a little bit mid-season, but Towson, Notre Dame, Penn State, and Hopkins. And a two-goal loss to the national champion runner-up, Maryland. Uh, Coach Myers is also coming off a gold medal from US U19 this past summer. Um, I, I was able and fortunate enough to be able to talk to him at the convention. Uh, you weren't there, AT, but he did. He was, he was awesome. Came by after his speech uh, that he did for the convention there um, and came down for about five to 10 minutes and talked to us. And uh, I asked him some good questions. But basically, you know, his biggest thing going into this year is that one, he believes they have the blueprint for success. Two, they're, quote, chasing the best version of themselves. And I think that that's a great term to use or statement to say about a team now that has everyone more or less in a leadership role uh, that made an impact last year. Uh, Colin Shell coming back on attack, junior boys Latin. Eric Fennell, the Ontario product, who's a senior, 24 points returning. Midfielder from Monta- uh, from British Columbia, excuse me, senior, 23 points. And then jo- uh, the senior, Johnny Kelly, the Calvert Hall man, uh, eight points, but expect him to make a bigger contribution uh, yeah. this year. Their defense, you got Borges, a sophomore from Garden City, and Randall, a junior transfer from Stony Brook, should make an impact. And then they have the short stick D midfielder, uh, Logan McKinney from Minnesota. Uh, those pieces of the puzzle, that is their foundation this year. On top of two very important positions that you and I <coughs> always talk about, which is the goalie and faceoff position. Tom Carey is a very good goalie out of New Canaan. Canaan boy. last year, not the best percentage, but he has the ability to go 75%, but he does have the ability to go 35% in a swing of one or two games. The consistency here is what they're looking for out of carry, and I think he can provide that given the fact that Jake Withers is coming back, the senior Ontario faceoff guy, who's rolling at 61%. 
You combine consistency in the cage, 61% at the face-off X, and all of a sudden, Ohio State becomes a very, very serious team this year. And in a league like the Big Ten that has become very serious in just one year because of Rutgers, now you're top-heavy, five teams in the league that can make the quarterfinals at any given time. And yeah, a one I mean, team... They're, they're arguably, arguably the best league but they're probably the second best league when you really think about it, right? Well, with Virginia coming in with a new attitude, new culture, you could say that they're probably ACC's the front runner. But last year, you got to figure that Big Ten might have been a better league. I mean, Virginia was the odd man out out of that league. So you got top heavy four, you got top heavy five in the Big Ten. Um, it's just, uh, I think that the the Big Ten is a league and a conference this year that is going to pose problems for all the out-of-league schedules uh, games this year. Um, so, again, you know, Coach Myers has got a long-term view on the season. There's no question that it's possible given the senior leadership, but he really wants – it's it's not really important, so, so to speak, with what, you know, I'm taking from his thoughts, you know, in the next, say, four games or five games because I see them rolling through not only Furman, but I see their first home games. They've got four – the first game, first excuse me, first four home games are against Furman, Detroit, UMass, and Jacksonville, and I don't see any of those teams competing with them in Columbus. Now I could see a UMass team competing with them at home in Springfield. I think it's very hard to travel all the way out to Ohio and compete with a team that's looking to avenge an eight or eight and seven record last year. Uh, but like anything happens, you mentioned it, Furman uh, played them to an 8-7 to seven game last year, uh, almost scared them. In fact, I think Ohio State actually came back to win that game. I think they Yeah, they Furman. did. They were down. I, I want to say that they scored the tying goal late in the game and then went, you know, won yes. again late in the game. I don't know if it went to overtime, but, but it was – but it may have. Right. Uh, you know, it was. Uh, I just remember thinking, "Oh my gosh, it's going to happen." Gonna beat them. It's going to happen. And then, you know, they they uh, ended up pulling it out. You know, right. uh, I think like on a set play, I want to say that they won the face off after tying it up, or or Furman tied it up, and you were thinking, "Okay, here it goes." And then they called a set play, and then came out and scored with four seconds left. I remember thinking, "Wow, set play came out and won it. That was great." It never happens, uh, by the way. T timeout plays always result in turnovers, like ninety percent of the time. It always happens, but yeah. uh, for them to get that, that was huge. Uh, but for me, the first test for Ohio State, um, given what I would believe is going to be a relatively, and I say relative because parity is growing, a relatively easy schedule uh, for first four games in Columbus is the test in Wisconsin uh, playing Marquette um, away. So we'll see where they are by then. Uh, but I really think that this Ohio state team um, is a team and force to be reckoned with in 2017. Next up, Robert Morris, Ohio state. Oh, excuse me. Robert Morris in Penn state. Yep. Talk to me a little bit about the team out of Pittsburgh. So, I did some due diligence on RMU and you know, I, I was, I, I can't get over how many Canadians are on this team. It's incredible. It's, isn't it? Well, it's one thing to have a bunch of Canadians or it's one thing to have, you know, some Canadians on the offensive end, but they have them all over the field at, right. you know, a lot on defense and 
Um, you know, this is a team that's just that's 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 going to be a scary team to play. Last year, 2016, they finished the overall season at seven and eight. They were four and two in the league and made the conference playoffs. So, you know, this is a team that that has confidence. There's no question about it. You know, offensively, they were thrown up over 11 goals per game on 30% shooting. They do lose their two highest scorers in Luke Laskowitz, who scored 53 goals, which is a ton of goals, 14 assists. And their midfielder, James Rahi, if that's how you pronounce his name, mm-hmm. uh, who scored 24 goals and had 18 assists. And did they return attackman Adrian Tarak Orban, 29 goals, 10 assists, and midfielder Alexander Bull, 11 goals and 10 assists. Um, but this is an offense that can score goals. And so that certainly is going to put a fear in anybody, especially if they're able to win faceoffs. The defensive end, you know, sort of as predicted, they let up a little more than they scored. Um, but they don't lose anybody from this defense, except for their goalie, Matt Bukovac, if that's how you say his name. Uh, <laughs> but they return on defense, close defenseman Will Ewing, Zach Christensen, Zach Bryant. You know, this is a team that's going to be uh, rolling out veterans all over the field, and that within itself uh, can can equate to some upsets here. So they're gonna, I think they're gonna play Penn State tough. In goal, it appears like Alex Heger, fifty-three percent save uh, percentage last year. Uh, it seems like he's going to be the guy that ends up taking over uh, in the cage. They do lose their faceoff guy, Chris Barney, uh, who you know won 48% of his draws, but they're going to have to win faceoffs, in my opinion, in order to have a shot in this game versus Penn State. Their man up, not surprisingly, scored at 44% rate last year. You roll That's up that impressive. many Canadians, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be a scary team to foul, so you want to make sure that you're um, smart out of the penalty box. Defend them. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting. My concern for this team is going to be face-offs. Do they win enough face-offs? Um, and team defense. They can't let up 11 and a half goals a game and expect to beat teams that, you know, are perhaps more talented and have more depth. But this team can score goals. No doubt. Uh, Penn State, um, you know, they went 8-7 and seven last year. Uh, after you know a very very tragic loss in Connor Darcy, but they had four losses similar to Ohio State. They had four losses by less than two goals and two OT losses. They did have an OT win, so that kind of you know minute, you know takes away from one of those one goal losses. But you've got a team that's very close, and you're also talking about a team that yes, you lost TJ Sanders. That's a tough one. He's an incredible player. But you've got Grant Ament, 54 points, who's the arguably one of the better quarterbacks in Division I lacrosse. I mean, he is impressive. Just an assist uh, machine. And he's feeding it to one of the best players and attackmen in the country, Nick Aponte. Uh, 49 points. He's uh, been there Russell. forever, Nick Aponte. I, I just I feel like all – yeah, I mean, when you start for four straight years, <laughs> right? I mean, I guess that's kind of how it works. Um, but uh, Florence returns too. Uh, Matt Sexton returns from injury in 2017. But they also have uh, – and Ryan Keenan as well. But you also got the kid, Mac O'Keefe, the freshman out of Syosset, who might Keeper's make an impact. kid. I played indoor with his dad. Oh, Yeah. He yeah. uh, he is a big time competitor. By the way, uh, I love watching Mac O'Keefe play. Tough, tough, Syosa kid. 
Uh, their entire defense returns. Mike Arono, Peter Tr- uh, Trilio, uh, and Chris Sabia. I would expect a guy like Tommy Wright also to start breaking in as well. He was very impressive as a high school player. Didn't play as much uh, as a freshman. Correct. Yeah, uh, he's, he's great. Um, and then Trip Trainer adds to the defensive midfielder uh, depth as well. Um, but here's the thing. The, t- the two biggest pieces to uh, Penn State. The first part is the faceoff situation. Josh Wilman played pretty well down the stretch at 53%. Uh, he kind of, I think, would take the role from Lombardi, uh, Billy Lombardi, who was at 48%. Took a majority of the faceoffs in general, but, but Josh Wilman kind of took over at the end of uh, last season. But here's the deal. Early recruiting is finally hitting Division I lacrosse. The 2016 class is the first early recruit year. And a guy named Gerard Arcieri has entered and finally got to Penn State. This kid probably lost five faceoffs in his high school career. Yeah, he's um, incredible. He's, he's ridiculous. He's yeah. He's the original. That's Shami's guy. Yes. That was Shami's knee down. Uh, yeah. Yes. What's that? He was the knee down. He started the whole thing, and and, and yeah, basically Arcieri was the, the prodigy. He's, he was incredible, and he stayed that way all through. Um, and our Siri um, finally gets to Penn State. You wonder if he makes an impact right away. You hope he does. And that kind of all of a sudden increases the ball to a Nick, a Ponte, a Ment, uh, you know, O'Keefe as he's going to play, Florence, who's a big-time midfielder. Um, right. So uh, that's an interesting piece for Penn Arcieri State. Our might not lose a face-off until, they, <laughs> until he plays in the Penn State alumni game and has to take on the Beast. <laughs> the, or then they... <laughs> my money is on the Beast. <laughs> might not win. Uh, but the big question here, and we've talked about this all last year, Connor Darcy was the guy for Penn State in net, a very good goalie out of Massachusetts. Uh, but Will Schreiner, Will Schreiner comes in at 45%. Um, you know, you, who's going to be in the cage for the, for the Lions? Uh, does Jack Russ Bolt, a freshman from collegiate, make an impact and come in? Um, obviously, a, a touted recruit uh, out of Virginia. Uh, who knows? But you also got to figure Schreiner thrown into the, to the ringer. Uh, and a very emotional season changes uh, his play, improves on his play. I would think that's the case. Um, but that is the big question. Now, in terms of Robert Morris, I think that the faceoff X is going to mitigate all the weapons that Robert Morris has. Um, and I think you're going to see a score that is reflective of that. I, I think that the score is, is going to be, it's going to get ugly. You're going to play indoors in Penn state's facility, right in their wheelhouse. Uh, and like we just mentioned on every podcast, you're going to play any team in their indoor facility. You're, you're, you know, you're down five coming off the bus, but a couple things that I think that Penn state needs to think about when they come down uh, to the rest of their season is that there were four and four at home last year. You got to win your games at home. And four and four is just not going to get it done. And you got to figure Tam- Coach Tambo is going to really focus on that. And while I don't think RMU is going to be a challenge, you've got to think about the next four games are going to show us what Penn State's about. Ho- at Hobart in Geneva, Cornell at home, at Villanova, and Penn at home. That is a monster first four games for anyone uh, who's looking to make an impact. But it certainly will. Uh, 
you know, lead them into their Big Ten schedule, which is going to look basically the same way. Uh, so that's my thoughts on Penn State. Uh, but again, it comes down to, in terms of Robert Morris, comes down to winning faceoff, playing their disciplined game that Coach Tambo is and does all the time. Don't get in a running match. Uh, with Robert Morris because then it'll get, create a sloppy early in the season and just like you said AT that's when you're going to kind of lose some of the battles and all of a sudden the ball ends in the back of the net and all of a sudden it's a one goal game going into the fourth quarter uh, but I don't expect that at all going into this game uh, and not sure uh, what you think about it either yeah no listen I I, I think that um, that's it's very reasonable I mean if 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 Penn State dominates the faceoffs. RMU is going to struggle, and and you got to think that Penn State is going to win the faceoffs. I mean, you, right. you have to think that way. Right. Um, and like you said, they're going to win them all year. I think. It's going to be I think difficult. they're going to win them all year. I think that kid is is you know he's going to be right there among the very. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him come in and win sixty five percent of his draws, which is a huge statement. That's a Baptiste uh, type number. I mean, he could come in and repeat what Baptiste, I mean, Baptiste did. His was, Baptiste was like almost seventy percent. I mean, he I think he was like sixty-eight percent as a freshman and pretty much rinsed everybody. But he's running game, at seventy-one right now, which is incredible. It's over two years. Yeah, that that is incredible. Um, but this kid is right there. I mean, this kid is that that good. He's that good. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, you know, what, what happens with Penn state over the course of the year, but I'm predicting that a lot of their one goal losses uh, or half of their one goal losses flip. And I think you're going to see Penn state as a team that's in the top 10 by the end of the season. I don't know. Awesome. Yeah. So. Duke air force, our last one, last one of the rundown AT Duke loses to air force last year, mid season on March 22nd. Oh, Does it, does it happen again this year? It could. Um, you know, I'm looking at Duke, and I'm I'm concerned about Duke in the first half of the year. They're coming off a season where they were 11 and eight overall, two and two in the ACC. Um, you know, they on paper, you looked at this team at the start of last season, you were thinking, you know, how can anyone hang? They've got the you know, one of the best midfields with Miles Jones and Deemer Class, you know, as basically three first. Deemer Class there. almost had 150 goals, by the way, which was what you put up in your career, which is ridiculous. Well, I was in college for seven years, Ryan. So <laughs> you, you stay in college that long and you have a tendency to leave a lot of the records. Uh, <laughs> no, but you know, I, listen, I mean, it's there's no, no, no doubt. I mean, those two guys anchored a midfield at Duke for four years that you know, again, they're statistically, they were, you know, sort of in line with Gary and Paul Gate. Now, they aren't as dominating or didn't dominate the game the way that those Gary and Paul Gate did, but nobody did. Right. Um, nobody has. And, um, you know, but, but, but they're among, you know, a handful of, you know, I'd say top five midfield duos uh, of all time off the top of my head. Um, wow. You know, just statistics. I mean, it's incredible the amount of statistics. The statistics that is insane. But, you know, it just seemed like, and we've talked about it over the course of last season, that their offense ended up standing around with watching Miles Jones with the, with the, right. with the ball on his stick. And it just became old. And as a result, um, you know, they didn't peak at the right time, which explains why, uh, 
you know, their season ended so abruptly. Um, you know, it still is an offense that put up over 13 goals a game last year. I, that's going to take a major hit. There's no way they're going to put up those kind of numbers this year, losing Miles Jones and his 33 goals and 37 assists. Deemer class is 50 goals and 13 assists. Case Mathias, another four-year uh, starter there on attack with his 24 goals and 32 assists. Now, they do return two big-time players in Justin Gooderding with 42 Gs and 29 As, and Jack Bruckner. Bruckner. Bruckner, I'm sorry, with 46 goals, 30, 13 assists. But I just worry about, you know, them not having enough balance. I mean, who's going to be their midfield scores? Um, you know, they just they just lose a ton. Now, uh, you look at their defense. Their defense is letting up just under, 10, just under 10 goals per game. They do return Brian Dunn, Cade Van Raphorst, Greg Pelton, Ethan Pally, Ian Unilis, they returned Danny Fowler in goal. Um, you know, so you got to think their defense is going to be better than it was last year. But who are they going to become on offense? Um, and Duke is sort of a notoriously slow starting team. Um, but always, at least under Coach Donowski, seemed to peak at the right time in the playoffs. And that's how you, you know, if you have to choose, that's the way you want it to be. Absolutely. Um, but, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Air Force win this game at all. I really wouldn't. Um, I do think that one advantage going into the game is going to be Kyle Rowe at the X for Duke. He's coming off a season where he won 64% of his face-offs. He's simply put one of the best five face-off guys in the country. Um, and if he's able to win that, you know, win the draws, if he's able to win 65% of the draws for Duke, that's going to give them an advantage that they're going to need to um, exploit if they're going to want to win this game. Because Air Force is not coming into the game wide-eyed especially after beating them last year. Um, you got to think that Duke is going to want revenge, but, you know, Duke coming into wanting revenge versus Air Force. Listen, it's Air Force. It's a military academy. These guys are, are tough as hell. They're not going to get <laughs> intimidated. Right. If anything, um, you know, their mentality is we, we beat them last year. We're going to beat them by more this year. Right. You know that's what they're thinking. So, um you know, I, I'm I'd be concerned if I was Duke in this game. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see Air Force beat them again. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, if I had to bet, I would bet that Duke wins the game. But it, but it wouldn't surprise me if Air Force beats him again. So, so we'll are, find out. Are you Duke money line Air Force spread if you were betting? You know what? I, um, are you asking me what the spread of the game would no, be? No, I, I haven't. Obviously, we Which don't know what the anyway. spread of the game is because it's not out. But the Air Force, you know, if if you like, I'm I'm assuming that the perceived goal differential would be like what three or four or something like that. I don't I don't I don't really know. I, I, I think yeah, I'm taking I think the spread for Air Force. That's my question. Yeah, I would take Air Force. I'd take Air Force in the goals for sure. Okay. Uh, I, I I see a I see a. You know, if I had to create the line, you know, I would say that it's 11 to 7, Duke. I, I think it's a four. I think Duke goes in as a four-goal favorite, but it wouldn't surprise me to see Air Force win the game. That's 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 exactly what I was looking for. That's a great call. Uh, Air Force was 15-3 and three last year. 15-3. and Saramet, is he the most improved coach in Division One? Like, I mean... Is there another coach that has done what he's done, given the scenario that he has, to do to to be 
in the situation he is. I don't think improved. I, I think what you're seeing is, you know, the end result of somebody who's always been a great coach. That's and true. It takes a long time to get your players into school and they got to stay healthy and you got to, you know, you, you, I, I think you're seeing the end result of somebody who's one of the best coaches in division one lacrosse. Right. You know, it's not an easy play. Fred AC did a great job when he was the coach at air force, you know, and they right. would seemingly upset a major team each year. Right. But I don't think he ever had a team that was as successful or as good as the team that Eric Saramet uh, put on the field in 2016. That was a, a very genuinely, that was a top eight team. Very, very, very good team. Now, obviously moving into the SOCOM will help a team like Air Force, that's for sure. But D1 Coach of the Year in 2015, incredible. Bill Wilson was Assistant Coach of the Year in 2015. Yep. Uh, first time back versus Duke after last year's massive upset. I don't think it's going to be the same thing because it's game one. And... You know, in terms of, you know, you look at Air Force, they return Chris Walsh, the SoCon Co-Player of the Year, 35 goals, 29 assists, uh, the Maryland product. They return Andrew Tien, 20 goals, 8 assists. Nick Kruby, uh, Texas native, 27 goals, 15 assists, 15 assists, excuse me. And Cam Carter, 11 goals, 10 assists. The biggest issue that Air Force is going to face this year is who is going to be in the net. The kid, Doug Gaucho, was, he was great, awesome. And he stood on his head for an entire season, and they don't have that anymore. Now, what they do have is 54% of the faceoff backs. Now, I look at a team like Air Force, and I feel like a lot of their statistics are skewed because of the schedule that they play. When you roll through the, the uh, SOCON, you're going to get relatively inflated stats because there's no way that Josh Radnovich, excuse me, uh, is 54% against Fowler. I mean, there's, there's just no way that he's that much uh, against Duke or not Fowler. What's his name? Rowe. Duke. Kyle Rowe. Rowe. Sorry. Fowler was before him. Um, but so in terms, that's where I feel like they're going to lack against Duke. First game of the season, there's a question mark in net. Uh, they do have a lot of their offense returning, which is great. Um, they have their defense more or less intact, but their defense in general is kind of a, a junk job. They'll throw you a zone. They'll match up with you on off, uh, uh, you know, man to man, and they'll pop back into a zone. Um, so it's not necessarily what um, the personnel is, so to speak, at Air Force, but more so the scheme that they decide to go against a midfield depleted Duke team. Um, so that should be interesting. But in terms of the keys against Duke, and this is where I think that Air Force could have a shot, is you got to get weird. You got to get weird on the defensive end and kind of really junk it up. You got to control the X, which is I'm not really sure how they're going to do that. No, they lost. They lost 17 of 22 last year. Right, and and they got how many saves out of Gaucho in that same game? Uh, Gaucho had 17 saves and the other <laughs> nine goals and had 66. <laughs> You know, I saved mean, two of every three shots that were taken, which, and is, that's, which is incredible. That is, and and a large part of that is you can also say that the shot selection early uh, or at that point when we're watching a March team at Duke, thinking that they're going to peak, they weren't peaking in March. In fact, they were going downhill in March. Yeah. Um, you know, 
it's it, it's just going to be a different scenario. But again, you're going to get an Air Force team that's going to play hard, make most of their shots. I mean, Walsh is shooting 36% last year. Again, is that skewed stats? When you play VMI, Furman, um, you know, these lower end teams constantly, does that skew your, t- your, your, your statistics? But in the end, they're going to need every ounce that they're going to get out of every single player that steps on the field uh, come game day in Durham. That's the end of the show, guys. Uh, we have a show Saturday. We're going to pick them. We're going to pick our teams. Hopefully the lines are out. I mean, we've got over-unders on the non- uh, – they're at least alive. Uh, if not, we'll just kind of pick the uh, uh, the games uh, for this weekend. But hopefully the lines are out. We're going to get a guest. Do we have a confirmed guest, AT? Uh, I want to get Timmy Goldstein, legendary Cornell attackman. Uh, Timmy gave us the verbal. I'm going to have to hunt him down. Timmy's a little – tough to hunt down in sort of is all he a areas flake? of life but is he a i'm flake? going to see if we can get him hopefully he doesn't flake out if not we're going to find no. another one we're going to we'll find get, another i guest. think we can get him all right perfect but in the meantime we will see you tomorrow saturday uh again big game um well tonight is actually the game but we should have known the results of the vermont firming game today but it's not today it was last <laughs> night so <laughs> uh opportunities for improvement there you go uh so in the meantime maximize your comfort we'll see you saturday